Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue in this series of conversion, how Jesus radically transforms not just a little bit of our lives, but he goes down into the depths of our lives and transforms us completely, wholly, radically. He goes down to the roots. When we think that Jesus has gone deep, he goes deeper. And that's what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's actually a little bit of shift in the way that Jesus is teaching from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 6. What you've been hearing Jesus say is this kind of formula. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, he's no longer using that formula. He's going to use a new way of teaching us this morning. So you're going to hear a little bit of a shift there. But Jesus is still wanting to get down into our hearts, down into all of our lives, and especially our relationship, our alignment to him, and how it relates to the things of the world. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, and you have them open to Matthew chapter 6, or your iPads or iPhones, or whatever it is we use these days, I want us to just look at this text together and hear the one who loves us speak to our hearts so that conversion that he offers to us and gives to us, we might have a better understanding of that. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the risen, victorious, life-giving King Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You cannot serve both God and money. Earth and heaven, darkness and light, money and God. Jesus is going right after our hearts this morning, brothers and sisters. What he knows about us is that we live in a world of, that tries to conflict our hearts, to conflict our eyes, to conflict our wills and our desires. And what Jesus is doing here this morning 
He's showing us that, yes, there all are alternatives to life, but he wants us to prioritize the one thing. He wants us to put our confidence in the one thing. He wants us to rest and live focused on the one thing. And I just, a couple of years ago, I was reading a book called Essentialism. And I, I'm not a big fan of any words that like put isms on the back of it, but there's this really great book and it's by a guy named Greg McCown and it's called Essentialism. And he was writing in this book and one day he just really, it's like these last statements of Jesus, you know, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And the, the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And you cannot serve God in money. He, he does kind of what Jesus does here. He throws out a real zinger, like, whoa, hey, like what, what was that to side swap me here? And Jesus doesn't do zingers. He brings a gracious hammer and blows our hearts to pieces. Greg McCowan used zingers. He uses zingers. And he said this. He goes, you know, um, the etymology of the word priority has been ransacked by our culture. The word priority has been ransacked by our culture. Because we are exposed and we are on display as being a divided people, a wounded people, a broken people who are scattered all over the place trying to figure out how things work and how life operates because we are so divided, because we have taken the word priority, which is always when in proper use in the singular. Yes, I'm a word nerd, but just stick with me. It's summer, the kids are like, I'm out of school. What's he talking about tenses for? But the singular word priority, and how do we use the word? What are your priorities? And he's like, it's impossible to have priorities. You can only have a priority and everything falls underneath and in place. So what is your priority is what he's asking in the, in the work essentialism. I encourage you to read the book. It's really good. But Jesus is asking it in, with more authority and more power, that question this morning. What's your priority? Where does your confidence lie? What are you trusting in? You have a choice. Actually, you know, there's an ancient text that, was ser that served the early church as an instructional manual for, the, for new believers. It was um, called the Didache. And one day I was reading it, and one of my kids walked in the room and goes, who's Didache? But the word is Didache. And uh, it simply means the teaching. And it's, it's, it's extra biblical. It doesn't carry inspiration, but it carries a lot of instruction for us because what it was is it was a teaching device that summarized the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments in a, in a rememberable form so people who didn't have the Bible in front of them, didn't have the text with them, they could memorize and just walk and learn what the Sermon on the Mount was. And so they, they had the Didache. And at the very start of this instructional document, the very first thing it says is this. The teacher tells his students, there are two ways, one of life and one of death, and great is the difference between the two ways. By setting the two ways alongside each other, the hearer was trained to see the wisdom of walking the way of life and the foolishness of walking the way of death. Two ways. You know what was left out of the Didache? You know what was left out of that teaching? Was a middle way. There's two ways, one of life, one of death. No middle way, no third path one could walk. A decision had to be made between the two ways. Jesus' teaching in this text here in the Sermon on the Mount makes the same demands of us, his hearers, 
this morning. He lays out the way of the kingdom of God, the path of righteousness, in comparison to the way of man, the path of religious adherence. Getting your act together is the way of religious adherence. Looking outside of yourself for one to do the work deep within is the path of righteousness by faith. And that's what conversion really is. The way of righteousness is a life of faith, trust, and confidence. Resting in a chair like you're resting in a chair, God is asking us to put our confidence, to rest ourselves in him. And from that rest, from that faith, from that trust, God works in us a transformation that transforms our character and our conduct. But the alternative, the way of religious adherence, demands that we conduct ourselves and behave in such a way as to appear transformed by men. The emphasis of religious adherence is one's confidence in their performance, their ability to get it right. The emphasis of the way of righteousness is one's confidence in God to perform the miracle of the transformed heart that leads to a transformed life. And that, my friends, is conversion. God working the miracle of the new heart that transforms a person to have a new character and new behavior and new desires and new conduct. It's not we get our act together and we might become transformed. It's no, God works a miracle and the result is we are transformed. So I want us just to invite, invite us this morning to become what we are, to grow up into what Jesus has done in us and to hear, Lord, how can we align ourselves with you? Because conversion leaves no part of the soul untouched. And when I say soul, I mean all, all of you, your heart, your mind, your will, your affections, your desires, everything, even your relationships, that are next to you and your relationships that are in your back pocket in your wallet. Jesus is going so deep. He is going down into our wallets this morning and he's going down into our, pers uh, in our purses. I don't carry a purse, but maybe some of you do. He's, he's doing that to bring transformation that deep. And so he wants to work radically to transform every aspect of our lives, uniting what is divided in our inmost parts, namely our hearts. So in conversion, we've seen that Jesus is going down deep, down core, down to the core, and he's going to begin to shape and to reorder our possessions. I mean, the things that we hold on to, the things that we cling to, the things that, you know, like you and I get insurance policies for and hide in safes and Hope that nobody breaks into our house and steals. Those things. Jesus is after those things as well. So he begins to reorder our hearts and our lives. Because he knows that there are rivals. There are rivals to his authority and his power in our life. He wants us to put all of our confidence in him. Because one of the greatest rivals that vies for our confidence in Jesus is the perceived security, comfort, and power of money. And he knows it. So 
and introducing the rival of money in the text, you can't get away from it. It's right there. It's obvious that he's after possessions and money and our wealth, not to take it and steal it from us, but to give us a better treasure. So in introducing this rival, he's asking us to assess where our confidence is this morning because we cannot, and there is a strong emphasis in verse 24. Do you see that? The word cannot in verse 24 says, it's impossible for you to put your confidence both in God and money. We have a decision to make. Which way will we walk? And so in verse 19 of the sermon, Jesus commands those who hear his voice. And let's open our ears this morning to hear his voice, to not put their confidence in earthly treasures. And he briefly gives us a reason why we should do that. Don't, don't store up yourselves treasures on earth. Well, okay, Jesus, why? Because we kind of like those things. And he says, well, first, because moths and rust, they destroy. Literally, they eat. They consume. And if they eat and consume, the thing that you're holding on to, the things that you're clinging to, uh, there's potential that you'll lose them. So don't put your confidence in that. Why would we put our confidence in something that has the potential to be rotted, to be eaten, to be consumed? That's the first thing he says. Because in Jesus' day, people valued their clothes. They valued their tools. They valued their precious metals because it gave them some kind of bargaining power in their, their world, in the marketplace. If you wore a certain kind of dress, then you had a certain kind of honor. If you only had one tunic, it obviously said that you don't have a lot. But that one tunic meant you had something. And Jesus says, even then, just don't put your confidence in it because it can be eaten. It can be consumed. And if it's not eaten or consumed, it runs the risk, the potential of someone who is corrupt, breaking in and taking it from you. Literally, to dig through a wall and to take out of your house what you think is secure. So if it's not moth and rust, it's thieves. So the things you're trusting in and when it comes to wealth and possessions and money, it can all be taken away. So whether it be natural effects of decay or the wicked deeds of deceit, earthly treasure is not worthy of your constant confidence because it can be taken away. That's what Jesus wants us to know. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth because in an instant you can lose it. But in verse 20, he says that there is treasure that can be accumulated and stored that cannot be taken away by corruption and decay. It is kept in God's care and it cannot be touched by human hands or any other created thing or cause. No moth, no rust, no thieves, completely secure because the treasure that lasts and does not fade is completely secure in heaven because that is where God is. And those things that are stored up in God cannot be taken away. I remember um, sitting in my car, I had just bought a new CD. And I remember back in the day we got CDs. And I uh, unwrapped the wrapper and um, I opened it, almost cracked the case, trying to put the CD in as fast as I could. And I began to listen to this record by this Christian poet. And I listened for a while. And then it, there's a song that came on. And the first line of the song 
again, not a zinger, but a gracious hammer, said, I've got faith in the bank and money in my heart. Now, I want a broken heart. Did you hear it? I've got faith in the bank and money in my heart. It's, it's a plea. It's a confession. It's a cry. Lord, I'm divided in my heart. My treasure is, is somewhere else. It's not in a place that cannot be kept. Break my heart. Not just break my heart for breaking its sake, but so that it might be transformed to trust in the one who says, there's a treasure that you can store up and it cannot be taken away. So the question naturally rises this in our minds the moment we hear Jesus differentiate between corruptible and incorruptible treasure, and it's this. What kind of treasure is this? And, and how does one accumulate it? It is evident that this incorruptible treasure is not the result of earthly labor or toil and performance. But this, this heavenly treasure is the result of trusting, depending, and relying on God. Actually, it's the result of a, confu- a converted heart. It's the result of the transformed heart obeying the commands of Jesus, hearing Jesus' words and doing them. He's going to talk about that later, and I hope your ears are still open, but I hope your hearts are ready to obey because the risk we run is hearing the words and not putting them into practice, and that's foolish. And so... How can we get this treasure? Well, Jesus says it's the result of the transformed heart obeying his commands. And what are those commands? To love your neighbor and your enemy. To forgive as we've been forgiven. To lay our lives down for those who would seek to take ours. Because when you receive love, as we have in in Christ... It begets love. When you receive forgiveness, it begets forgiveness. When you you pour yourself out into others, it begets more pouring out. And it accumulates treasure that lasts. Because not only do you grow in Christ-likeness, which is what God's aim is, is to conform you to the image of his son, but it causes you to bless and to love those who have not yet sensed and experienced the conversion that you have experienced in Christ Jesus. The beautiful thing about conversion is you're not the only one who gets blessed. Your whole neighborhood gets blessed. It's radical. So the treasure is not just those things, but it's also the accumulation of the rewards the Father gives to those who demonstrate confidence in him by giving to the poor. And you actually see this in Matthew Chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, the giving of alms. We actually accumulate rewards from our Father when we give to the poor. When we devote ourselves and put our confidence in, in God through prayer and fasting. Again, verses 1 through 14, I would encourage you to go back and read them at some point. This chapter clearly says that God rewards those who practice such things before his face and for his reward rather than before the faces of men. So we can pray. 
We can give of our wealth. We can give of whatever we have. It doesn't have to be wealth. And we can fast. And in a way, God rewards that. And we accumulate for us treasures in heaven. So there is treasure to be gained by hearing all the words of Jesus, especially verses 1 through 14, and putting them into practice. So do you hear them? Do them. Another word that's kind of old that I love to say to my kids is, heed boy, heed, Luke, heed. And everybody looks at us like at the park, like, that guy's weird. But simply it means to hear and to do. It's taking those things and putting them together. I don't want you just to hear this. I want you to do it. So let us heed Jesus' words this morning. There is an incorruptible reward given to us when we put all of our confidence in him. So the question before us this morning is where are we placing our confidence? What is our heart set on? Is it the corruptible treasures that comes from our hard work and our performance and our toil, or is it the incorruptible, incorruptible treasure that flows from the transformed life whose confidence is in God? What are you trusting in? Our hearts are set on one or the other. Remember the two ways. There's no middle way. There's no mushy middle. There's no third avenue available to us. It is either the treasure of heaven we're putting our confidence in or the treasures of earth. So what is your heart set on this morning? Again, I just want to ask you just to think about it. Let Jesus do the work this morning. Is it the corruptible trinkets of earth or is it the incorruptible treasure of heaven? This passage can rattle and jostle a people who have in God we trust printed on their currency but not written on their hearts. However, the converted heart may need the reminder that our money gives us, but we need not put our confidence in the cash. We might need the reminder in God we trust, but we don't need to put our confidence in the cash because we have greater treasure. So, one way to test whether you have your heart really set on heavenly treasure rather than earthly trinkets is to check the light in your eyes to look at what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your life. And so in verse 23, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I'm sorry, I have to pause every time I say that because I'm like, Wow. It seems like an oxymoron, light and darkness. It's like this paradox thing going on. And Jesus is really using some extravagant imagery here. Jesus' words are wrapped up in cultural metaphors and imagery, imagery that makes our understanding of these words a little bit more challenging. You read that and you're kind of going, what, what is he saying? Light in our earth is darkness. How great is that darkness? That just doesn't compute, Jesus. Help us understand but he's calling us to consider where our confidence is resting as it relates to God and treasure. The eye in the Jewish mind could serve as a metaphor also for the heart. So Jesus isn't changing his trajectory here. He's still focused on the heart and the eye in the Jewish mind is a metaphor for the heart. When we think of a healthy or bad eye, you and I, we may immediately think of the quality of someone's ability to see. And that seems pretty straightforward. But the word healthy as Jesus uses it means whole or single. And the word bad that we have in our Bibles that Jesus uses could mean double or evil. It's like someone who has single vision 
or someone who has double vision. And if you have double vision, you know how dangerous it can be. But not just double, it can also mean evil, corrupt. So the evil eye is one that is considered greedy or covetous in the Jewish mind. And in contrast, the healthy single and whole eye is the one that is generous and kind. Jesus is going deeper into our hearts again, as if like, okay, maybe we should tap out at the first part. Jesus is like, hold on, there's more work here to do. We're going to bust out a few more walls so we can build a palace here. He says, when our confidence is God, he begins to form our character in such a way that we become like him in his generosity. We become like him in his giving, his kindness. The life and body of the converted heart is marked by a life of generosity, a life of open-handedness and benevolence. But the unconverted heart, according to Jesus, is void of the light of generosity and kindness. If darkness is the absence of light, evil is the absence of goodness. Generosity and love It's a body left in the dark. So, what's the quality of light in you? Again, Jesus says if our confidence is in God, he begins to form his character in us, giving light to our bodies. He gives light to our bodies, and this light cannot be ignored. Again, your neighbor gets in on this goodness, because when the light shines out of the life of the transformed heart, the neighborhood gets blessed. It can't help but notice. It's an interesting thing about generosity. It is pretty bashful, generosity. It kind of wants just to remain hidden and quiet and and it's kind of shy. But when it happens, it's really hard to hide. It's really hard to ignore because people get blessed. And it's real, it's tangible, it's, it's light in darkness. So in the Gospel of John, it is written that in him, in Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Jesus comes on the scene in the incarnation, and they're like saying, this is the light of men. This is the light we've been been looking for. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness is dumbfounded by the light that shines from the heart fully trusting and confident in God. The darkness just doesn't know how to compute it. When generosity and graciousness and kindness of the transformed heart and it shines forth, the darkness just cannot comprehend it. Darkness cannot overcome light and evil cannot distinguish the generosity that flows from the life of one touched by the Lord of light. Darkness doesn't have a chance. A distinguishing mark of a a truly converted heart, the distinguishing mark of one whose life has been transformed by Jesus is generosity, but a particular kind of generosity. It is generosity to those who still live in darkness. We seek to bless those who are still trapped in darkness. So it is the joy of the disciple of Jesus to proclaim to bodies full of darkness, behold, A light has come. 
through our benevolence, through our generosity, and through our giving. Because when Jesus broke in and shined on the dark places of our world, we realized that God is a generous and kind God. And generosity, again, begets generosity. We come now to the final verse of our text. And the image of two ways is most clearly outlined for us right here. I mean, you can't be any more clear. Jesus does not stutter ever, and especially here. There's no having to tiptoe around it and guess and walking on eggshells. He just lays it out for us. He brings it home. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So that third way, that middle route, again, it doesn't exist. It's either you're devoted to one, God, or money. You love God or you love money. You either hate God, whoa, or you hate money. Love and hate are powerfully strong words. And a divided loyalty, a divided heart is never loving. So, with words like that, love and hate, they're such strong words. Divided, lo- divided loyalty is never loving. Therefore, if it's not love and it's not devotion, it's hate. Hate. I hate that word. <laughs> but maybe you're still like me and you're kind of like wiggling a little bit and you're going, oh, but the third way, there's a third way, there's a third way. You don't have to be all in here and all in there. Jesus leaves us no chance of that. And I, I seriously wrestled with it because I'm always looking for the third way. You know, the easier one, the more convenient one that doesn't make you like get all in. There's only one third way, really. It's not a third way, but maybe you're thinking, ah, Nathan, but apathy. It's not love, nor is it hate. (laughs) Ha ha, gotcha. I would suggest to you that there's something worse than hate. And it's apathy. Because with hate, at least there's some feeling left. And the potential for change, for transformation, for conversion, a hateful heart can be transformed. But a heart that has ceased to feel anything, an apathetic heart, it's already dead. It's already dead. It's dangerous to be apathetic. There's not a third way because apathy is hate. Devotion, though, is love immersed in total commitment. It's this all in. Devotion is not only being committed to one thing, but cutting oneself from any other possibility. It is truly the priority. 
It is making the one thing, the one thing. And Jesus is asking us to consider where our confidence is. Is it in God or is it in money? Because when we put our devotion in God, we're committed to him and we don't even look at other things to compete with him. We settle in our hearts that God is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our confidence. And when we put our confidence in God, we cease to give ourselves away to those things that can compete for our devotion. We set our hearts to treasure him alone, our eyes to beholding the light of his blazing generosity, and our devotion remains single and undivided. We put all of our life, all of our weight, and throw it on Jesus. What is really required is that we set our gaze on Jesus Christ and look and look and look until beholding him begins to transform our lives and our character and our conduct. We don't try to perform like him. No, we behold him and we gaze at him and ask for him to transform our lives from the very depths, starting with our money. Lord, work a miracle in the things that we trust in. He's asking us to be fully committed to the care and love of God. See, that's the interesting thing about Jesus is a lot of people will look at Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and go, yeah, but he's God. He's setting the standard so high that no one can attain it. He's just, he just like humbling us. Yes, he's humbling you to build you up. He's breaking you down to make you whole. He's taking what's broken and bringing it back together. When we put our confidence in him, like he put his confidence in his father, Jesus, the righteous one, Jesus, the one who preached this sermon, was fully devoted to God. He, was com he committed himself fully to the care and to the love of his father, trusting him to accomplish through his very life the salvation of men. Jesus trusted the Father. Jesus had confidence in the Father and relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that. Jesus was dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And through his perfect obedience, he offers us a better righteousness that flows out of his abundance. He gives us treasure. A better treasure. He gives us light a better light that wipes out the darkness. And the best thing that he gives us is that he gives us himself. He gives us God. So, that we who have put our confidence in him may be transformed to be like him. Conversion doesn't just deal with getting you right with God. Conversion has to do with making you righteous in God. So, brothers and sisters, it is in the treasuring and the beholding or gazing and the loving of Jesus that will radically transform our divided souls, converting our hearts wholly. We are a conflicted people. And many times we have conflicted and divided hearts. 
But Jesus comes to take what's divided and to bring unity, to bring newness, to bring wholeness. And you know what? Our culture is just being really, really honest with itself right now. Like, nowhere near the ballpark people who aren't even close to Christianity are really being honest. They're like, we're divided. We have a brokenness problem. We have a, we have a confliction of our hearts. We're, we're just completely not whole. We want to be whole. So there's a lot of this wholeheartedness and wholeness talk. But the very thing is it, it's ignoring is the power that Jesus offers to make us right before him. Because it's actually not in self-care that you become a whole person. I tried it. I'm still a sweaty mess. It's not in self-care, though that serves a purpose. It's in conversion. It's in putting your confidence, your trust, not in your power or ability. That's religious adherence. It's throwing yourself completely on the promises of God to accomplish what he has promised your transformation into Christ-likeness. What are you trusting in this morning? Where's your confidence? There are two ways. One of life and one of death. And great is the difference between the two ways. Let's pray.